All right, I am so excited to be up here today. The psalm says that we have to taste and see that the Lord is good. God wants an experience with us, this experience with us. And it is the most amazing thing to consider that the creator of the universe, like the psalmist said, what are we that you even care? But a couple ground rules before we get started. One... I'm all over the place. I actually had this brought up here because David told me I have a camera barrier, so I need something to tether myself to, to make sure I don't. I'm all over. This morning, I woke up, and I was praying, family. I am so serious. Did anybody watch Bodyguard in the 90s, Whitney Houston? I am praying this morning. I'm in the middle of, oh, God, I love you. God, I love you because without you, I've got nothing. I've got nothing without you. And I said, wait a second. Am I singing Bodyguard while praying to Jesus? <laughs> And then I messed around and left my keys in the car door. When I'm, I'm sitting up there talking to Ryan, and they walked in with my keys. I'm just like, like my keys you found? Absolutely. So we're going to make it through this, hopefully. And the challenge today is to stay close to this thing and make sure that the slides keep up with you guys. Are y'all ready to go? Yeah. Yes. Rocking and rolling. Gathering church, we're going to start with a game. Typical teacher mode, right? And that's going to involve you actually talking back to me, right? So let's practice. Good morning. Good morning. Okay, we've got it. Y'all are awesome. I'm loving it. We're going to play this game, and the way we're going to play this game is I'm going to call out traits. Now, your job is to identify what I'm talking about just based on the traits. Real simple. Very, 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 very simple. Round one, swims on the water. Howard, you're messing up my game, man. (laughs) Howard got it on the very first one, water, right? Erica was like, fish, human. I'm just like, we're going to get there, right? Web feet, all that kind of good stuff. All right, round two. Round two. No, no, no. Let's see, let's see how good you are. No, let's see how good you are. Oh, that's not supposed to happen. <laughs> right, okay. Round two was a cheetah, and y'all would not have got it because it said hunts prey, and I forgot that this slide is not set up like my slides right here. But we have one more round, so that's okay. Round three, are you ready? Round three. It flies in the air. Nope. Nope. Clue number two, it's not a bird. <laughs> Clue number three, it's a painful thief. Boom, she got it. Mosquito. Next two clues would have been leaves a bump and it's found near water. Now, interesting. I never had to tell you what I was talking about you knew just based on the description. Isn't that interesting? It's interesting that a thing is always known based on what it produces. I'm going to give you one more. Now, this time, we're going to flip the game. I'm going to give you the object. It's going to be on the screen. You're going to give me the description. Ready? All right, here we go. Salvation. Love. Freedom. I think of Braveheart every time I hear the freedom. Sacrifice, that's a good one. Worshiper. Service. Okay. Now, how do you think a non-believer would answer that question? What'd you say? Cross. What is Pain. Ooh. I've heard that before. 
restrictive. They feel like we're in boxes. Judgmental. I actually got that this week. I asked a non-believer this question right here, and that's exactly what they said. Fake, hypocritical. Those are the other two on the list. What? Were y'all like spying on me, like trying to get rid of this thing? God, oh my goodness, that's crazy. Yes. The craziest thing is we're sitting there and we're having this conversation. And I asked myself, it totally changed my week. I told Ryan, I was going a different direction. And then after that conversation, God kind of put me on a, a detour. And I said, I wonder how Jesus would answer this. I wonder what Jesus would put on this list. If Jesus was sitting in this room, talking to me and you, doing this sermon thing, and we gave him the option to write down how he would describe a Christian, what would he say? Because at the end of the day, what we think truly does not matter. A manufacturer of the product determines everything about a product. The manufacturer determines when it's functioning. Manufacturer determines when it's non-functioning. Manufacturer determines when a warranty can be given. Everything comes back to the manufacturer. And he is our manufacturer. So what we're going to do is we're going to dive off into the scripture and we're going to see what Jesus says. Today we're going to be in, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the Gospel of John. And I'm going to set the context for you because this is a really awesome place. We're going to be in John 15. I say have your Bibles. Oh, a real Bible. What? You go, boy. Everybody just wave it in the air. I haven't seen one of those in a long time. <laughs> it's, it's like a dinosaur. Right. <laughs> the Gospel of John, the 15th chapter. Now, look, Jesus is at the Last Supper here. He has literally just sat down and washed the disciples' feet. Immediately after that, he tells them, one of you is about to betray me. That's the whole point where Peter's like, you're never going to wash my feet. And he's like, oh, you have no part with me. And he comes right back. Typical Peter. Dave always brings up our good old boy Pete. Then he tells Judas to leave. He lets Judas go. Says Satan entered his heart. Judas is gone. And then immediately after that, with Jesus knowing that he is nearing his last moments on the earth. Think about it. how many times have we said, if this was my last day, what would I do? What would I say? And we all come to the same conclusion. We would say the most important thing. We would do the most important thing. We would put out what we wanted to make sure that they grabbed onto. And in the middle of that, we get John 15. You ready? Pretty cool intro. It was a setup. That was definitely a setup. All right, here we go. John 15. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that does not produce fruit, and he also trims branches that produce fruit to prepare it to produce even more. You have already been prepared to produce more fruit by the teachings that I have given you. Stay joined to me, and I will stay joined to you. No branch, y'all say no branch, can produce fruit alone. It must stay connected to the vine, and it is the same with you. You cannot produce fruit alone. You must stay joined to me because I am the vine and you are the branches, and if you stay joined to me and I to you, you will produce fruit plenty of fruit. But separated from me, you won't be able to do anything. If you stay joined to me, you will be like a branch that is thrown out and dried up 
And all the dead branches like that are gathered up and thrown into the fire and burned. Stay joined together with me. Follow my teachings. And if you do this, you can ask anything and it will be given to you. Show that you are my followers by producing much fruit. And he says, this will bring honor to my father. We're going to focus on verse 8. Jesus says, and this is Jesus, and we met the messenger. Jesus says that the way that we will know, the way that we will see, the way that we will be able to acknowledge his followers, it has something to do with this concept of producing fruit. And clearly, it was not just at a nominal level because he said producing much fruit. And when Jesus uses a word, it's not like when we use a word. Like, I'll ask for much potato salad on my deal. Like, that, that's my use. But Jesus, is, is, he's so much bigger than anything that we can fathom. Now, to dig into this concept of, oh, no, even one more. The word says that this will bring honor to my father. Oh, my God. How many of us have said that we want to make it to heaven and be ushered in to God saying, this is my well, my, well done, my beloved servant. Well done. My, and Jesus is saying that something about this concept of fruit will bring honor to God. That word honor in Matthew chapter 9, you remember the story with the paralytic man? They broke in, they're tearing off the roof, and they let the dude down. And Jesus says their faith and heals him, and the dude stands up. Well, immediately after that, all the people looked and they said, and all of the people glorified God that he had given such power unto man. The same word for glorify is the same word for honor. Same context. They glorified God. This will glorify God. He's connecting these things in such a way where it doesn't even make sense because for us, for a paralytic man to walk, that's like, oh, my God, my life has changed. Everybody would believe in Jesus. But for Jesus, he said that there is something that we can produce that is on the same level with a man who has been broken on his legs his whole entire life, getting up and walking. And he says, this is what you show. The concept of fruit has actually, it's a very old concept. Now, in Jewish, in Jewish scriptures, they, they had this dude named Helio. He's a really popular guy. He had these laws for studying scriptures. And one of his law was the law of first mention. And the law of first mention says that if you want to know more about a concept, go all the way back to when the Bible first introduces it and study that, right? When God brings this up, what's the first thing that he says? Where are my Bible scholars? Who, where is the first place in the scripture do you think we get the mention of the concept of being fruitful? Genesis, Adam and Eve. It is in Genesis chapter 1. And that is crazy, God is birthing universe, the, uni the, the universe, dog, the universe. He is speaking the universe into existence. Planets are popping out. The sun didn't even come to day four. The earth is chaos. Like, this is crazy. And after all of that, throwing the atmosphere up, telling the earth, the oceans to have a barrier. In Genesis 1.28, he comes to us crazy. And the same breath, the same breath that was speaking, let there be light, and there was light. The same breath that spoke 
all of these things that are incomprehensible. Science can't even wrap its brain around it. That God came to us in Genesis 1, 28, and he said, be fruitful. Wow. Be fruitful. What are the consequences of this? This is before the fall. This is before sin. This is before the exodus. This is before all of that stuff. It was his original intent for whatever we are, however we are made, that we are supposed to do this thing called be fruitful. And Jesus was telling us, I have restored you to this in me. That word blessed is the word barak. It's like to kneel before. It paints this picture of God offering us something amazing. And he said, be fruitful and multiply. Now, many of us are going to take that and we start thinking about baby making. And God, <laughs> God does want us to have babies, yes, because we got to keep the lineage going. But the rabbis come back to this and they never look at a thing on the surface. I laugh at Dave because we always get gumbo talk. And, and, and I think Dave was the one who said this, but the Bible truly is like a good pot of gumbo. Like you cannot skim the surface with it. You only get rue. You have to go all the way down and all the way up if you really want to get everything that it has to offer. The off box, good, good pot of gumbo, good pot of gumbo. And when you think about the concept of being fruitful, here's what the rabbis did. They were so awesome. I, I love their brains. I love their brains. The rabbis would say, and Paul, being a rabbi, is the same thing he did in Romans chapter 1 whenever he said that we look to the things that are created to give us insight into the things that we cannot see. Jesus did this all the time. He would find a situation or, or something physical, and he would use that so that we could have a point to connect. Because we're, you know, we're, we're like children. We're trying to grasp these heavenly concepts that are so far beyond us and so far outside of us. And he's trying to give us something that is tangible where he can say, look at this. Start here. And so the rabbis, they look at fruit and they analyze fruit. And they say, man, fruit is amazing because fruit is actually the thing that shows that the seed that was planted is successful. Fruit, it's the mechanism that the plant uses for reproduction. It's the evidence that the seed is successful. The rabbis would go on to say that fruit is literally our ability. It's the Hebrew word para, and it means to bear fruit, to grow, to increase. I love this one right here, to be because to be. It, it actually, like, it's like a becoming. It's the ability to become, to always be in a state of becoming, to never be in a state of being settled, never being in a state of being enough. Something new is always being birthed. And they looked at this and they said, look, we take a seed and we stick it in the soil where nobody else can see. And God is telling us that there's things that he's going to put in us that nobody else can see. And we're supposed to be fruitful. We're supposed to birth these things. We're supposed to bring things from the kingdom of God, incomprehensible things, and manifest them in this earth. What an honor that he would choose us to partake in that process. 
From the very beginning, we were designed to be God's vessels to take heavenly things and bring them to this earth. Even in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said, pray daily, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? On heaven, on earth. (laughs) Right. I flipped that one, right? I took us all to heaven. (laughs) On earth as it is in heaven. It's always been the plan. It has always been the plan. Fruit can, can represent whatever we have inside us, family. We're all gifted and talented in so many different ways. And God implants these things within us because we're supposed to mature them and then birth them. And at the end of the day, just like Jesus said, they will honor our Father. Before He'll be magnified. He'll be glorified. He'll be lifted up. He'll be exalted. They will look at us confounded and say, who is their God? When Israel went into the promised land, God said, I'm going to bless you like crazy. I'm going to bless you so much that all the other nations are going to look at you and they're going to say, I don't know what they got, but I want it. I don't know who they serve, but but I'm going to be over there. And he put in all of these provisions to bring in the stranger because he knew it was going to happen. He knew it was going to happen. Our God is an amazing God. You notice in Genesis chapter 1, there was no introduction. He didn't explain anything. He just shows up in the beginning, God. All the other faiths have these huge explanations for who their God is, where they came from. Hercules was Zeus's. uh, Zeus was was real messy. He was sleeping around with earth women and popped off and had Hercules. And then he had mama drama between him and his wife. And she was trying to take out Hercules. Like, it's a crazy story. Like, it's the real story, Right? God just shows up and says, boom, I'm God. But then the interesting part is we start to watch how he interacts with us, and he comes in with the exodus, and he just wipes everything out. Didn't say anything. And then he'll come in in another place and knock down the walls of Jericho. He evidenced who he was by his actions. You didn't have to ask if he was God after you saw Jericho. You didn't have to ask that he was God after you saw Egypt fall. And then he said he was going to make me and you, and he says, they're going to be just like me. His likeness and his image. So when we come back to what Jesus is saying in John 15, 1, Jesus said, I am the vine and my father is the gardener. Jesus is saying, I am the thing that provides every single thing that you need to be successful. The vine was the mechanism that transported all the nutrition to the branch for the fruit. Without the vine, there is no branch. Without the vine, there is no fruit. He was saying, without me and my father, the works that I want y'all to do, it's impossible. You can fight all day. You can toil all day. Y'all can get up in armies and masses. But at the end of the day, when it comes time for results, you're not going to see the results that you want. You're not going to see the end things that you're trying to produce because you're trying to do it in a way that is outside of the way that I have decided that it will be done. Not might be done. Not could have been done. It will be done. And he gives us a clue in here because he says, I am the true vine. He could have just said, I'm the vine. But the word for true in the Greek, it means real, genuine, 
true, opposite of what is fictitious. I think he was kind of giving us some insight that we don't have to stay attached to him. He doesn't have to be my source for life. He doesn't have to be my source for good and evil. He doesn't have to be my source for how I'm supposed to live. Like, I have an option to get my nutrition from other things. But he's saying, if you want to do what our Father has designed you to do, if you want to bring forth the things that our Father has designed you to bring forth, there is only one way to do it. You have to stay attached to me. Because... He cuts off every branch of mine that does not produce fruit. I was looking up agriculture this week. They will cut off the bad branches because bad branches take away from the good. Jesus said, now he's Jesus. And he said he also trims every branch that produces fruit. Now watch this. To prepare it. For what? To produce even more. Wow. How many times have we lost something in our life? We thought we were losing something. One of these days, we've got to grow to a place of maturity where we realize that God is more concerned with our sanctification than he is with our daily happiness. He's more concerned with cleaning us up so that we can operate in the power and the authority and the likeness and the image of God than he is about me having a good life. Produce even more. And as crazy as it sounds, Jesus says that you have been prepared to produce even more fruit by the teachings that I have given you. So he's talking to the disciples These dudes have been walking with him for three and a half years. And Jesus could have done anything with his time. Anything. He could have had a seat at Pharaoh's table. He could have had a seat at Caesar's table. He could have done whatever he wanted. But he chose with the time that he was here was to position the disciples to be able to continue in this place of fruitfulness where he says, even more. He'd already said they had a lot. You're going to produce much more. But he comes back again and he says, produce more fruit. How? You got to stay in his teachings. The word of God is a seed. Our bodies are dirt. We're dirt suits. When we take it in, the parable of the seed and the sower, he says he goes out and he's throwing these seeds and it says the seed was the word of the kingdom. And when the word fell in the ground, it always produced 30, some 60, some 90. God's word will not fail in the right soil. It's impossible. And Jesus is saying his teachings, we have to be one with these things. Stay joined to me and I will stay joined to you. What an awesome promise. What an awesome promise to the disciple. Stay joined to me, because I'm going to stay joined to you. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us, because no branch can produce fruit alone. It must stay connected to the vine, and it's the same with me. You cannot produce fruit alone. You cannot produce fruit alone. Here we see Jesus saying that being fruitful is a product of a consistent relationship with Jesus Christ. Being fruitful is 
There's no other way to spin it, family. There's no other way to spin it. He says, being fruitful is a product of being with me. If you are with me, you will bear fruit. There will be no middle ground. There will be no wondering. There will be no trying to figure out if they are or if they're not. If they're with Jesus, this will happen. And not only that, it's crazy to think that he said more and more and more, meaning that we don't even, there's no place of contentment. To be in contentment with Jesus is to be in pride. There's no middle ground. He's unlimited. It's an unlimited flow of God, an unlimited flow of righteousness, an unlimited flow of information, an unlimited flow of relationship, an unlimited flow of love. He says you can have as much as you want. I almost did it. You can have whatever you like. <laughs> I have to watch myself. I work, I work in the hood with children, so I've got all these references in my head. Some of them might not be Jesus sanctified. <laughs> you must stay joined to me. I am the vine and you are the branches. And if you stay joined to me, here's the promise. You will. You will produce. You will produce. Now, I've heard that Jesus guarantees the tithe. If you give the tithe, then he guarantees he'll open up the windows of heaven. Oh, but I love this promise. He says, if you stay with me, you will, and look at the, produce plenty. Not a little bit. Plenty of fruit. But then he reaffirms. He just keeps saying this over and over again as if we weren't going to get it. He just keeps saying it over and over again like it was going to pass by over our head. But if you don't, you won't be able to do anything. Our best efforts with our greatest expression of our talents on our best day without Jesus Christ equals zero. Fruits of the Spirit. Jesus said that the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience. The word is long-suffering. It's the same for patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against these things, there is no law. Jesus says, this is amazing. When you look at the state of our country right now, this, these, this context is it's absolutely amazing. For a country that claims to be majority Christian, with the things that we've seen lately, and Jesus is saying that if you're with me, this is what's going to happen. But then you look at what's happening, and they're saying they're with Jesus. But Jesus says, if you're with me, this is what's going to happen. But then we're looking at the new. But then Jesus says, there's a disconnect. Love. First time to picket, I was picketing at the school system against. They were trying to make it to where me as a teacher would have to call people by their preferred name in kindergarten. And I, I'm just, no, it's just not going to happen. You're a kindergartner. You, you don't, like, you, I still have to change your underwear sometimes during the day. Like, this is crazy. We're out there picketing. My first time ever to picket. And uh, they were telling us the legislation. They were trying to put it off in there where we wouldn't be. They were trying to take the parents out of the equation. And I'm sitting in this room full of people, and I know a lot of these people claim to be followers of Jesus. And one person goes up with an, op I'll call it an opposite opinion to our faith, and begins to just, it was up there giving their little two-minute speech, and they quoted Jesus, and they said, after all, didn't Jesus say that the greatest commandment was love? And the whole room erupted. And I'm sitting 
and I'm falling apart inside. I'm like, Lord, what have we done? When the culture, when the church begins to define God's truth based on the culture, we're following the loss, not the Lord. And Jesus said, when the blind follow the blind, they end up in a pit. Love, first mention, Abraham, Genesis 22. The Hebrews say love is sacrifice. God comes to Abraham and he said, Abraham, first time the word is used in the whole Bible. And that's crazy when you think about everything that's happened. He says, Abraham, take your only son that you love and sacrifice him. So to a Hebrew, to love God is to sacrifice I get up at 4 o'clock every morning. It's not because I don't like sleep. I enjoy sleep. But I love God. And if I'm going to love him, I have to make, it has to show in my lifestyle. The way we define love for God is crazy. Oh, I love God. Really? Because, like, I've been around you for three. I've never heard his name. When I look at your lifestyle, I'm confounded. The words that you think are acceptable blow my mind. Your moral compass for good and evil is nowhere near the text. You love God? Are we being honest? Like if I gave that love to my wife, everyone, Pastor Dave would have me in his house every week for counseling. And if it's not acceptable for my queen, and everybody in this room would call me a liar if I treated her the way a lot of people treat God. And yet somehow it's become culturally acceptable to say I love God and have absolutely no actions that align with that love. And everywhere else in life, we know that's not true. We're supposed to be the thought leaders We're supposed to be the ones that drive the culture. The culture is not supposed to drive us. He says joy. We're studying the book of James. Our definition of joy does not come from the culture because if it does, you're going to be upset all the time. James said, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. And let patience have her perfect work, making you perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Now, look, he says, knowing this, Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. So just having truth does no good for us. It's the truth that we know. And the Hebrew concept of knowing is to be intimately equated with. That's why whenever a man went to a woman, he would say, and Adam knew Eve. And they knew their wife. There was an intimacy. It wasn't just stuff in my head. It was a truth that I have taken and made a part of my heartbeat. James says that when you understand what God is doing inside you, when you understand how he's making you more pure, you understand that he's refining your character for something amazing, you can go through hell with a smile on your face. And even crazier, what did Jesus say? There go see the fruit and honor him. They'll come to us and be like, are you okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Did you hear that we're, we're all getting laid off? Oh, yeah, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Do you know that includes you? 
And then that, that window is opened up because eventually they're going to say, why are you so different? What is it about you? Everybody else goes left and you always go right. And then we say, oh, so glad that you asked. So glad that you asked. Our lifestyles invite the question. Our lifestyles invite the question. Last one I'll talk about up there is long-suffering. This one blew my mind from Bible study as well. That word is made of two words, long and soul. When you put them together, you got long-suffering. It was two Latin roots that got put together. Often the Strong's Concordant for that word, there's a word called longanimity. I had never heard this word before in my life. I looked it up Google like three, four times. And longanimity is literally the ability to maintain your character in the midst of any situation. Jesus says that if you stay tied to him, he will give us the ability to be even killed, whether we're up, whether we're down. Remind you of any scriptures? Philippians 4.13, Paul said, I have learned, whether I've had much or whether I've had little, content, I can do all things. How? Through Christ who strengthens me. He said, y'all don't know who I'm attached to. He said, y'all don't know who I'm attached to. But at the end of the day, Jesus is redefining what it means to be a believer. And he is saying that his followers, his disciples, the word where he said, show that you're my follower, that same word is Talmudim, that's a disciple. That means people who'd sacrificed everything. He says, you're going to show the world that you're attached to me, not because you make a statement, not because you attend a place. He never says any of those things. I made a whole list of things that I've heard people say about how they're a Christian and why they're a Christian. And it was very rarely because God has radically transformed my heart. God has radically transformed my character. God has radically transformed my mind. He's radically transformed how I interact with people. He's radically transformed how I love people. He's radically transformed my finances and what I'm willing to give. He's radically transformed my joy level because I sit in places that used to drive me crazy. And now for some reason, I just have this peace that passes all understanding. God has radically transformed me and I'll never go back. A blind man should be able to know you're a Christian. Let that one marinate. Jesus just gave it to me. <laughs> it really is brand new. I was like, man, that, like, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> Family, I, I believe, and I'm so serious with this, under Dave's leadership, Dave's going to, whatever God tells him to do, he's going to do it. It's, it's the coolest thing. And I genuinely believe that if we would but commit to loving Jesus honestly, with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our might, that we can radically transform not just this community, but we're going to go back to the book of Judges where you let God draw the territory lines. Israel never chose the territory lines. God did. And I like it better that way because we serve a big God with big dreams and big expectations. So I believe 
that if Jesus had to make that list, that it might look something like this. I think Jesus would say that they're in love with me daily. It's pretty easy metrics. Pretty easy metrics. Every day, they wake up and their heart beats with my beat. I think Jesus would say that they're searching, submitted, and being led by the word of God. You know, when we accepted Jesus, uh, our culture has this really crazy thing we do where we try to accept him as either Savior or Lord. (laughs) I just want Savior. (laughs) Save me, but don't don't lead me. Save me, but don't make me change. Save me, but don't have an expectation that I'm going to be different. Save me, but don't tell me what to do. But he never gave us that option. Paul says that if you accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, Lord means I give up my life. Lord means you decide what's good and evil, and I say, yes, sir. Lord means if you say do it, I say, okay. Lord means I trust you for everything. And with that package, Jesus says, I save you from everything as well. Package deal, family. Package deal. And if you have the first two, I think Jesus would say that it's impossible for the third one not to be happening. Every tree grows at its own rate, but every tree grows. Every tree grows at its own rate, but every tree grows. Trees never retire. It's true. You go into an orchard, you actually want the older ones. They've been barren longer. You don't want the young ones. Them young ones, you, a lot of them, you can't even, you have to take the branches because they'll lean and tilt. It's, it's crazy. Doesn't matter how old you are, God expects you to still be growing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he expects it to be a more and more and more and more and more. And those are Jesus's words. We have to commit to this because if we do, we will create such an environment. We've got to be honest and we've got to ask the question, what are we bearing? Every day we interact with people. Every day. There was a parable, Jesus heals a man's eyes, and he asked the man, what do you see? He said, I see people walking around as trees. That's who we are. We're moving trees, and we're bearing fruit. And everybody who comes in contact with us is eating what we have to offer. And if you claim to be a Christian, they're pointing back and saying, that's Jesus? That's Jesus? Man, that was was horrible. And what does it show us about our relationship with Jesus Christ? There's one more characteristic of fruit, and I've got two slides. We're going to close them out that I think is just phenomenal. You know, the apple tree never delivers the fruit to Walmart. Think about it, right? If you're hungry, it's the fruit that draws to the tree. It's the fruit that draws. We can get as creative as we want to, but it's the fruit 
that draws. When we're out here and we're walking around through the streets and we're interacting with people, it's the fruit that draws. When we're at Walmart, Tom Thumb, it's the fruit that draws. It's what we're bearing that's going to determine what God is able to throw off in here. And when we go out there into the world and, and we bear love, joy, peace, do you realize we're in a famine of the fruits of the Spirit? Anybody who's watched the news, we are literally in a famine of the fruits of the Spirit. The world is going crazy. And every single thing that they're missing, Christ said, we were the ones that were supposed to bring it. We have the answer to everything. that Depression, we have the joy. Broken marriages, we have the love. Abusing your children, we have the patience. Everything. I woke up the other morning and 2 Timothy popped off in my head, and I don't know why, but God said, remember this. And I'm going to read this as we're closing, and all I want you to do is I just want you to listen for the attributes. I want you to listen for the traits. Close your eyes if necessary. It says, remember this. There are some terrible times coming in the last days. People will love only themselves and money. They will be proud and boast about themselves. They will abuse others with insults. They will not obey their parents. They will be ungrateful and against all that is pleasing God. They will have no love for others and will refuse to forgive anyone. They will talk about others to hurt them and will have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. People will turn against their friends. They will do foolish things without thinking, and they will be proud of themselves. And instead of loving God, they will love pleasure. Here it is. They will go on pretending to be devoted to God, but they will refuse to let that devotion change the way they live. Stay away from these people. It's tough, huh? We're about to go. We're about to go back out into the world that we're going to make a difference in. But we have to remember that whatever we are bearing is actually preaching the message of who Jesus is. And whatever we are bearing is directly tied to the amount of time, attention, and love that we give to Jesus Christ every single day. And it's paramount that we get this fixed immediately because God says that every person in this room in Ephesians 3 was created for works, good works that God has prepared before we even got here. Because I promise you, the world is making their list. They're making their list. They're making their list. They're making their list. Love you guys.